Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. This podcast, by its very nature, is one big-ass trigger warning. And welcome to the first episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. I'm Guru Nishan, and I'm a writer, trauma healing activist, and a child survivor of a yoga cult. It was actually only two years ago um, that I had a reframe on my whole um, upbringing in my entire life and was able to really say that the way that I was raised was in a cult, not a yoga culture or yoga community or spiritual community. I always had a slant towards the positive and, and really thought that my upbringing was more of a good thing than not. Um, of course, I knew my whole life that it was riddled with hypocrisy and incongruency and infidelity and, and all sorts of dogma. Um, but one of the ways I rationalized that was don't all religions and governments have dogma and hypocrisy and you know stuff that happens? So the narrative that really propelled my 20s and 30s uh, was that I had grown up in a, you know, born and raised in a spiritual yoga community that my parents joined and, uh, you know, kind of woke up to the hypocrisy and shed the dogma and, and kept the health consciousness parts and, um, you know, built a dynamic life. Um, and, it, and it would have only been, um, you know, in my mid thirties when that illusion came crashing down and a business that um, I thought was my business because I joined a business opportunity in the multi-level marketing industry when I was 22 years old. And 12 years later, I, I find out that this business wasn't mine. Um, and at that moment, I realized I was repeating some power dynamics that reminded me of my upbringing. And I wouldn't really fully come to understand uh, the gravity of what that meant, of what that disaster meant until 2020. And um, when that happened in 2020, there was like a explosion after 50 years of silence within the 3HO Kundalini Yoga lifestyle that I had come from um, that broke open and years of stories of abuse and really sadistic, horrible, institutionalized abuse all came to the surface. And um, it's a challenging thing when uh, your abuse is popularized in mainstream as trendy uh, or it's normalized even as the healing or quote awareness, or even where it touts itself as trauma informed, when the reality is that it was actually very traumatizing to many, many people over a 50 year span of time. So, what happened was um, this kind of break open in the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in 2020 led me to start um, a podcast called. Uncomfortable Conversations a podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. 
And you're welcome to listen to the 50 plus episodes that we've recorded in the last couple of years. Um, but essentially, that podcast came from um, these stories finally being told in, in public space and me just wanting to make sure to um, bring them into a domain where people could listen to them when they are ready. So as the episodes and people were coming forth and sharing their stories, a tapestry began to emerge and it was like each story filled in the gaps of other stories. And I began to refer to this tapestry as what I call the predatory formula of 3HO. And again, 3HO is the uh, yoga culture or the cult that I was raised in. Um, so a lot of the feedback from the listeners who were listening to the podcast in the last couple of years uh, reinforced the recurring themes that were resonating um, outside of 3HO and the predatory themes of narcissism and cognitive dissonance and victim shaming and um, shame and silence and secrecy. A lot of these themes um, were obviously elements that people outside of 3HO could resonate with. They might've had a different lived experience, but the result was the same. The abuse was the same. And the whole 2020 revelation in our, uh, in my childhood community also led me to have a new framework on my life and on myself. And it helped me realize that, um, a, I'm a survivor of systemic abuse, that I was raised in a cult, not a yoga community. Um, and looking at the framework of cult ideology and that there's language for this, I started studying cult abuse language and realized there's an entire world of people who study cults and the impact of children that are born into institutional abuse, uh, the impact on our brains and our bodies, and realizing that I had complex PTSD for the first time um, in my, you know, waking up to this in my 40s. And it, and it all made so much sense. I suddenly didn't feel like so much was unique and personal about me. Suddenly I could see that, whoa, I'm a victim of this institutional systemic abuse. And therefore I can slowly call my spirit back, so to, so to speak. Um, it also gave me language and themes around narcissism, gaslighting, cognitive dissonance, language around cultural appropriation. In 2020 was the first time I could really see the extent that the culture I was raised in was full on culturally appropriating and extracting from the Sikh religion um, and from, you know, from other ancient truths that have been extracted from indigenous cultures over time. And I could really see it. Um, more clearly and see the whitewashing of history um, and even of the present day reality. And so all this just started to break open um, from the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, The Untold Stories of 3HO, Kundalini Yoga. And as we started talking on all of these episodes, of, of course, sexual abuse and spiritual abuse and emotional and financial abuse, institutional, religious abuse, all of it, right? All of it just starts coming out. And I'm, I'm immediately reminded that, you know, 3HO is like this tiny little microcosm of much larger predatory themes that are happening in our world all over the place. And 
Um, as much as I know that it is necessary and important to talk about the specific stories of the uh, of the cult that I grew up in and the violation stories of any survivor, no matter what you've gone through, is worthy of being spoken and being heard and listened to. Um, I automatically knew that a new larger platform would need to emerge, that there was a, a much bigger conversation to be had. And as I started examining the illusions within my own uh, sense of self, uh, and the, again, the culture and the way that I had seen and, and examined and, and lived my life, I could start to see the, uh, the white supremacy and the whiteness that was all just deeply baked into the exceptional, unique identity of the Kundalini community that I, that I was born and raised into. And, and again, it, you know, it had been years since I had really followed any of that ideology, but the consciousness and the way that I viewed the world was still very much entrenched. So 2020 helped me do a couple of things, helped me see cults um, clearly and start having language to identify and name cults and to name them um, as coercive when they're coercive. And um, to it also gave me a trauma-informed framework to be able to name co complex PTSD, to really start understanding what's happening within my own brain, um, but also to start seeing a therapist really helped in, in 2020, instead of navigating my life on a mystical, spiritual kind of inner journey, as I've always kind of called it, um, seeing a therapist and really identifying in everyday reality, reading and learning through trauma-informed lenses and, and mental health lenses, um, versus just spiritual, mystical, and psychological um, mysticism. So all of this and the podcast conversations have led to the birth of this particular podcast. And I look forward to uh, covering so many predatory topics, um, including abuse that happens in our own families. Um, I'm, I'm quite open about the abuse that happened, uh, my own early sexual abuse. And because I talk about these things, a lot of men in my life have, have shared their sexual abuse experiences. And so I, I want to bring forth stories where men too are sexually violated and we get to talk about it um, because a lot of our men are hurting and we live in a culture that even perpetuates added levels of, of silence and shame um, for men to feel that the pain of that level of, of violation and the memories that our body holds. Um, talking about abuse that happens in interpersonal relationships and the coercive dynamics that happens in the places we should experience the most amount of love in our families, in our interpersonal relationships, in our religious institutions, and the convolution that this creates. Um, it, it creates a real inner convolution of of love and abuse commingled, as I have talked about a lot on my podcast. So my intention with this podcast is to bring um, stigmatized uh, experiences that a lot of us have, and we hold them internally thinking that it's all on our own. And we get to have a platform where we get to bring it out um, and, and talk about it. Because one thing I do know is, while we don't have a lot of solutions to how to stop child sex trafficking and other types of really horrendous abuse that happens every single day all around us. 
Um, the more we talk about it, the more we recognize it, the more we can identify it, um, then it has less power over us. Um, and we, we, we are making it unnormalized. So I want to destigmatize the world of cults by having conversations about them. There's a lot of people talking about cults, a lot more movies out on cults, and they're everywhere and, and they're not easy to identify and we can learn how to do that. So when, when, a, when cults are coercive, because sometimes there's groups that provide belonging and we all need healthy belonging, it's a part of our nature. But when cults are coercive and they control, there's a, a spectrum. Um, Dr. Hassan, uh, who's a cult expert, um, uh, he actually talks about the, um, the spectrum of coercion and we can identify that. So um, there is a difference and we can begin to learn about this by talking about it. So that's, that's really what this podcast is all about. And we're gonna be talking about predatory business practices and industries like the multi-level marketing industry um, that pose like business opportunities, like I was involved in for 12 years, um, but they're actually quite psychologically and financially abusive and traps um, that create long-term impact on our sense of self and our personal achievement and, um, and financial um, abuse. Um, but the psycho psychological abuse that happens at leadership levels of these industries and these types of businesses are, are, are big topics, much less all of the predatory financial lending and um, tactics that are out here. And, you know, there's also the long-term impact of achievement and productivity culture, what we're hearing a lot as grind culture, um, the impact on our mental and emotional health. And, you know, what this really comes down to is extracting our value. So this platform is going to be large and varied. Uh, and we're going to hear stories from uh, and interviews from experts, as well as from everyday people like you and I that are just survivors. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a personal coach. I'm not a guru. I'm not any of these things for you. I'm just a survivor that is having conversations around predatory patterns in our everyday lives so that we can begin to recognize them and we get stronger at identifying them so that we don't become more and more susceptible to them. And we can unhook how we are uh, wielders of that power. So on that note, um, within this umbrella of predators in business community and culture, I'm doing a special series called Everyday Whiteness. And I'm highlighting this as a special series um, to really focus in on the insidious nature and the invisibility of this sort of predatory violence. To really talk um, and, and feel and see whiteness for what it is, I want to go back and explain this um, a bit more in my own story. So as I said, I launched the Uncomfortable Conversations um, podcast, The Untold Stories of 3HO Kundalini Yoga back in 20, November 2020. And um, it was about uh, September of 2021, um, I did an episode, which was number 39. And I interviewed um, just this young girl, she was like 21. And um, she had, you know, gotten all into Kundalini Yoga. And within this like year and a half span, you know, again, you can listen to the episode. But you know, just classic 3HO moves of um, arranged marriage and just like full on in the, in the quote system of Kundalini Yoga 3HO. And two things happened to me in this episode. 
Um, one, the episode was a, a, a horrible story, um, but I felt so disgusted and I had to call out the blatant racism that she spoke to um, on the episode. And that episode is number 40. So on the episode 39, I just listened and I did talk about whiteness, but in episode 40, I actually go back and I, I call myself out and I call her out for tone policing and, and white privilege and for myself, silence, white silence and exceptionalism. And, you know, what happened between episode 39 and 40 was a, a wake up call within myself of realizing that I hadn't done enough of my own personal research to know the language, um, to be able to really identify it when I'm interviewing and, and having somebody on my podcast, when, when racist, when quote, hidden racist language is being used. And I, I felt it in my body, but I didn't have the language. So, um, you know, it took me, and I explained this whole process on episode 40 and, and I'll have the show, the link in the show notes. Um, but essentially I had to educate myself properly as in order to show up better as an ally in this anti-racism, becoming a better anti-racist journey. Yes. Um, but there's more because Number two, when I really sat with this and, and got honest with myself about what really bothered me about the episode, one was the racism, um, and I called that out, but there was more that unpacked in me, and it was that I had to be willing to admit that this woman I'm talking to reminds me of me. Um, this young girl, this, you know, saying all this things that she was saying I was like, whoa, you know, she's using language that I would use. She's talking about shadow work. She's talking about being on a healing journey. She's talking about um, healing her traumas of the past. She's talking about, um, you know, the dark night of the soul. And, you know, in, in all honesty, I had to say, yeah, I use, I've, I've used all that language before. I've actively been using that language to explain my own you know, business decimation and why I was repeating my, my uh, something from my upbringing. And I was on my own sexual healing journey. I, I would, I would use language like that. So I literally had this spiritual type rhetoric as my rhetoric. And as I listened, a part of that grossed me out because I didn't like the way she was doing it, but I thought, of course, I was doing it better. Um, th this is what was going on inside. And I'm just being honest. Um, but when you distill it down, this white woman and all of my internal judgment of her to boot um, was exactly what led me to the next realization. And as I sat and kind of stewed in uh, my disgust of what had happened in that episode and all the things that it brought up in me, suddenly I realized, and again, this goes back to September 2021. I don't identify as a white woman. And this was a thought in my head. And I, it was like catching myself in a thought. And I was like, what? And the awareness of me thinking this and then realizing that that is true within myself, I don't identify as a white woman. It was like, hold up, wait, what? We got a serious problem here, folks. And the more I sat with it, I understood like, 
I got washed in the awareness that my own identity, my cultural upbringing as a Western Sikh, I was rooted in this being a cultural other and raised in this Western Sikh culture that my parents had joined in 1969. You know, uh, we were always ostracized in mainstream America for being different. We wore white clothes and turbans. We didn't cut our hair. We ate, you know, all the things that are mainstream in health culture today were things we were doing special diets and, you know, plant-based and all the things. So even though I no longer wore a turban and I had stopped looking different more than a decade or two ago, quote, looking different, like I wasn't wearing, you know, a culturally different uh, dress anymore, Um, Of course, my name is different, and that's always been a part of my exceptional story. What I suddenly felt the gravity of is that I was hiding in my exceptional story of being different. So even though I had not been doing these external, I didn't identify as a Sikh. I didn't practice any of the religious practices. I was clear and honest about that. My internal sense of identity, my self-image was more identified as culturally other. I didn't see myself as as white mainstream woman. Um, I saw myself as a cultural other and all my experiences backed up that sense of self. Um, So I was very much detached to my own specialness. And as I'm realizing this is true within me, I'm washed in the violence of my own, that my own identification causes. The, uh, the lack of awareness. Here I am growing up in a culture that calls themselves the yoga of awareness. And the gravity of this lack of awareness that my silence causes, that my ignorance causes, that my unwillingness to see clearly basically allowed me to hide out in cultural spaces and not identify with the horrible, assaultive aspects of everyday whiteness. And, you know, this was heavy, you know, as as realizing that the structures of my life were crumbling, you know, the identity of the way that I feel about myself, the way that I see myself, my self-image, the way that I negotiate space in the world, all of this was ironclad rooted in a cultural other lens, not, not in whiteness. And it, you know, that's a problem because that's not the reality. The, the reality is I'm a white woman, but I really want to hit home that this cultural other isn't something I chose, right? I was born into this culture and I did the best I could to shed this, the parts that I didn't feel related to me and then kept the other parts, the health conscious parts, the thought, the parts that I felt kind of spanned universal thought or something of that nature. And because of my upbringing, you know, I purposely, and I guess my worldview and my experience of getting out of the United States and traveling around the world. And from a young age, all my brothers and and sister, you know, friends went to school in India. You know, I, I realized quite intentionally that I've purposely not looked at the horribly offensive and eerily appropriated spiritual spaces, yoga spaces, uh, other types of healing spaces because a I thought myself above them like we were the OG kids of this stuff we weren't the trendy people of this stuff we were we were more aware right 
the irony there is that we're born into appropriation. So we're like extra appropriating, but that's for another episode. Um, you know, more I want to point out that I purposely didn't spend time in white spaces because I've never found them very culturally aware or accepting or inclusive. I've actually found them to be very extractive, very surface, very shallow, and, and actually very assaultive to me. I noticed I would never want to be in a space where they're assaultive to any of my Black or, or Brown or Indigenous or, or cultured friends. But I felt assaulted most of the time. Most of these spaces would never say our names properly. We've always had our names butchered. Um, we were always ostracized for being different, you know, even though we're white. Um, and I purposely didn't address the problem of whiteness and whiteness and spiritual spaces because it's horrible to be in those spaces. So what I did was just didn't go to them. And I thought I was doing better by staying away. And I thought I was being more conscious. This is what I've come to call well-meaning white people. It's us white people that think we are here for it, that we're here for the love of all. Um, but we're actually still perpetuating those same structures and systems of su supremacy and abuse in ways that we perhaps can't even see yet. Okay, so all this is awareness I'm starting to have back in September last year, or sorry, September 2021. Um, and, it, and it just keeps cracking open. Um, my ability to see what's always been there in plain sight, and it's a special kind of predator, and it's the predator of whiteness, and specifically white women, and we'll get into why white women later and even on more specific episodes um, but I want to just preface that I am a white woman. My parents may have joined something that allowed me to grow up in a different cultural identity um, that was rooted in Indian culture. Um, but what I now know was actually not even that. It was a cult and a cult leader who extracted uh, the Sikh religion, um, aspects of yoga culture, aspects of uh, all sorts of truths from different places, um, but really legitimized our upbringing through the Sikh religion. And the way they did that is quite horrible. But I, I want to just say that the appropriation and the cultural identity of, of which we come from isn't even real. It, it's quite a fabricated lie, which is kind of what makes a great cult leader. Anyway, the reality is I'm Jewish and I'm Swedish. Jewish on my mom's side, Swedish on my dad's side. What I'm sharing on this episode um, is hard because it's so obvious that it's stupid. Uh, I'm sure everyone else uh, that has ever been my friend knows this, but there's how we see ourselves is by far what's most important here. So it's uncomfortable to let illusions die. And it's embarrassing to re-examine my life and relationships and choices and to actually start seeing through a culturally appropriated lens of whiteness. But it's absolutely necessary. And because all of my internal feelings and even all of my real life experiences of being a trauma survivor, a, a early sexual abuse survivor, a cult abuse victim and survivor, while all of these things are true, 
and my healing journey and my reclamation is, is mine and it is not to diminish it. These experiences pale in comparison to the violence that my own fiend ignorance of being a white woman causes and continues to cause, has caused, continues to cause Black women, Indigenous and other bodies of culture of women, men, um, and just to acknowledge the, the built-in white supremacy that the cultural otherness of my exceptional upbringing really offers. And I say offers because it's a hideout, right? It's an escape. And it's a way that supremacy distorts itself um, so we don't see it, so that we identify with a cause more than we actually belong to it. So it's not like I didn't know I was white, you know? It's not like I'm out here like identifying with black people as if we went through the same thing. No, I've never been that person. You know, we all know there's spectrums to whiteness. So let's get clear. Um, you know, I've always been culturally aware when you grow up super different and you're ostracized from a young age, you you write, you realize there's mainstream Americans and what does mainstream mean? And we were definitely not mainstream. We were countercultural. Otherness allowed me to relate to people of culture more than I related to mainstream white people. So maybe you're also an exceptional story of a white person. Maybe your parents, you know, raised you internationally. And so you have friends from all around the world, or, you know, you grew up similar to me where you grew up in this interestingly unique different culture. And so you've never really fit into quote mainstream. So, so maybe unconsciously you don't relate to quote mainstream white America. They would, you know, rip our turbans off. They would chase us home from school. I mean, that happened a bit more to my brother than me. But what I'm trying to say is that when you grow up having experiences of being ostracized and ridiculed for your food and the practices and the way you dress and the way you look, you know, my identification with otherness is not by accident. It's not something I created in the figment of my own imagination, right? They're real life experiences, but it doesn't discount that I'm, I'm white and I'm still able to pass within systems that even if I am identifying as being different and a countercultural individual in the world, the reality is, is I could assimilate in seconds and that's built-in privilege. So, you know, I spent a decade in, in this corporate business opportunity and it was primarily Midwest white Americans. And I literally related to those 10 years in that business as cultural assimilation. Like it was my decade I considered of learning to fit into mainstream America. Like I cut my hair for the first time. I wore nail polish for the first time. I mean, you can listen to my story on that on another episode. There were real life experiences of being abused in, in mainstream white America and not even have it be recognized as abuse. Like they just thought it was like normal everyday operating. And so these spaces were never safe to me. And I now get why I overly identify with bodies of culture because I very much don't identify with mainstream culture in so many ways. I've always been quite countercultural. So it's the, I guess the key is that I didn't associate myself with whiteness because I saw myself more as the cultural other. 
And this is what's allowed me to choose to not to relate to whiteness. And it was, again, only in this swirl that I was able to be like, whoa, a part of hidden white, a part of white supremacy is having an exceptional story. I never knew I was doing that because I didn't purposely do that, right? So again, you might have an exceptional white story. You've lived overseas and you went to a foreign, foreign boarding school and you have parents from multiple countries and one's half African and one's half American and something else, maybe a different religion. And, you know, there's always something interesting. White people who connect, say, to being a hippie or being of the earth or, you know, all the ways that as white people were assimilating into culture and then not doing our job of speaking out about this horribly violent system of whiteness that we are absolutely benefiting because we could assimilate if, if, if needed. We're, we're not seeing our part. And, and so this has blown my mind in the last it's blown more than my mind. It's blown my nervous system wide open. It's blown my heart wide open. It's blown every part of my sense of self. Um, it's just exploded it. And back in 2021, I knew I needed to do something. I mean, I got the message loud and clear, like gather with white people, like your work is with white people. Uh, do this podcast, the predators and in, in, do the whiteness podcast, talk about whiteness openly. I knew all those things, back in 2021 of the fall. Um, but I, I just was nowhere near ready. My whole foundation of self was crumbling and I just had to let myself metabolize and integrate and fully let the extent of the false ideology that absolutely propped up everything about my sense of identity and my life. Um, I had to just let it die. And it was a slow process of shedding the lies of my cultural identity and um, speaking about these things on my podcast, uh, just keep connecting the dots. I, you know, I started really learning about my own upbringing, not my upbringing, my historical Jewish roots, uh, you know, looking at shedding my name and looking at changing my last name and, and, you know, getting rid of the Indian, um, false name and, and how horribly appropriating, our last names and our middle names really are, and, and really all our names. But anyway, it's a process, right? It, it's a process and it's a slow unlearning and it's a relearning. And I'll be really honest, I'm just beginning. Uh, while I feel like I've done a lot of work on myself in so many ways, um, when you really start to see in something for the first time, you realize, oh, Jesus, I'm just getting started. So 2022 literally was an entire year of not teaching anything. I didn't sell a thing. I didn't teach a thing. I just sat down and I listened and I learned and I surrendered to the predators and the predatory patterns that were running me from within in ways that I, I didn't even know were my deepest survival patterns. Um, and I had to let them die off. And I, I let this false self die and, and just surrendered to watching what was going to be ready to emerge. Um, and so all of last year in 2022, I started um, in, in this listening on my back phase, so to speak. Um, I began doing interviews on the Everyday Whiteness series, and it's turned into um, a full entire series 
that's going to be an, um, a special unique series underneath the umbrella of uncomfortable conversations on predators in business community and culture. So they're going to be unique days. Um, each Wednesday, you'll hear another drop of the Everyday Whiteness um, podcast, which is, you know, specific interviews and conversations with different Black women and Black men um, about their lived experience with well-meaning white people. And I want to be very clear here. Um, there is nothing well-meaning about whiteness. It's deadly, it's lethal, and it's violating all of us every single day. I can now see it for what it is, and I can't fully recognize it everywhere, but I'm doing better. Um, and this podcast is my response to knowing I needed to do something over a year ago, um, but also know that this podcast is not the final result. It's just the beginning of these conversations um, and see what else is going to emerge. I'm not perfect in this process and I don't have the answers, um, but I do know that I needed to get into this conversation and that we need to illuminate predatory patterns and call them for what they are instead of use nice, sweet language that sugarcoats and light washes and whitewashes the truth. Um, I've learned that about my cult upbringing. I've learned that about my own mental health challenges, um, that I'm not on this soul journey. No, I have complex PTSD and I need help. Um, I didn't grow up in a spiritual community. I grew up in a yoga cult that extracts um, culture and uh, religion and practice um, from other sources and called it something else. We're not well-meaning white people. We are using our whiteness as weapons. So as we begin to bring these conversations into the open light, hopefully we can learn better language and we can allow ourselves to be corrected and we can um, learn to correct ourselves along the way. I'm waking the fuck up and I'm paying attention to the absolute necessity that we white people and white passing people get to ignore and pretend that we don't see or choose not to see for entire segments of our life. What is always happening and has been happening every damn day. This is not okay. And while a year ago, I was way more jumbled inside than I am now, um, every day is a new day to do better. We have to collectively unlearn. But we can only do that if we're paying attention and we take responsibility. So while a year ago, and I, I, I realized I had to metabolize um, and get clear on, on what needed to come next, and I had some visions around this podcast, and I started doing interviews, I want to I wanna just acknowledge that right here today, um, I, I've ended up with a book in my hand called White Women, and it's only been since this book that... I feel like I have yet again another framework that's helping to reorganize and correct the lens in which I see. So as I described um, what happened in 2020 and the stories that got revealed of, of all the abuse that took place in our, up, in our childhood culture, 
it helped me to see it through a cult lens properly. And it helped me to see myself through a mental health lens of, of having complex PTSD. So the structure or the framework in which I'm seeing something uh, ultimately allows me to see myself more clearly instead of personalize everything as my problem, or these are things that were wrong with me. I could see the institutional abuse that I was a part of and then realize, oh, that's not me. That's what I was trained to do, right? And, and how insidious it is when institutional abuse runs your entire system um, and the impact that that has on our mental health. I could see myself as, as um, a result of something much bigger than me. This book, White Women, which is by Regina Jackson and Syra Rao, their work is poignant, it, it's direct, and it's specific to white women. And it, it's a shared framework that, in my opinion, is a game changer. It is for me, for sure. And the work that I'm bringing to the world and that I've always known is coming. Personally, I, I believe this work and, and their work that they're doing with the Race to Dinner um, programs that they lead, this allows us as white women to see ourselves and to not compare compete and compartmentalize as a strategy that upholds white supremacy. As much as I had all this reflection and I've come to this whole process and th these interviews you're going to hear, this book has, has fundamentally allowed me to see white womenness as a thing. Of course, I saw it as a thing, but not a thing that I fully related to, right? And what this book has shifted for me is it, it quite literally um, exposes strategies of white womenness that I would have not been able to identify. I wouldn't have put that in that whole category. And it's 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 powerful. And you will heal a lot more from me on this book. I just wanted to frame the fact that this work has come forth prior to me finding this book. And now that I have the language that this book offers, um, I'm bringing that language because it's so helpful. Um, and one of them is the way that I made myself better than other white women. Yes, that itself is a strategy of white womanness. Um, there's so many more in there that I am I seeing. But some of my takeaways from this book, and I'm really not gonna share it all here because I'm absolutely gonna do more episodes in the near future. It, it's, it, one of the main things is see ourselves in this fight for ourselves. We're not in this anti-racist work to help black people or help indigenous people. I've always felt this, but because of my over-identification with cultural other, I've always felt like it was my work, but now I see how much I still perpetuate it unconsciously through my white womanness, because that is the culture I come from. In reality, my ancestry is a long line of white women. Yes, white men. And until I could name that, claim that, and see it for what it is, then I can see how our patterns of communication, of listening, of not listening, of comparing of compartmentalizing all the ways that niceness is used instead of being kind. There were so many more takeaways, but I just want to say thank you for this work. White women, get the book. 
to all of my black friends, indigenous friends and other culture body friends and to all people of the African diaspora and indigenous people worldwide of many lands, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been silent. I'm sorry that I've used my exceptional culture story to hide and seek cover in your spaces. I'm sorry I couldn't see this until now. I take full responsibility and I will do better. And one thing that this book, White Women, says is this work starts by telling the truth. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. So I acknowledge that I grew up in a, an exceptional, um, a culturally appropriated environment that allowed me to live a pretty exceptional life of, of world travel and, and independent out-of-the-box thinking and over-identifying with cultural otherness because of my personal lived experiences. I acknowledge that both of my parents came from very white backgrounds and joined, um, you know, and were supposedly, you know, conscious young people trying to figure out a better option in a world that was pretty tumultuous in the 60s. And, you know, I, I my dad, you know, really aligned with more anti-imperialistic values and anti-war stuff. And my mom was just trying to escape um, generational wealth hell um, and generational incest. And uh, the reality is, is both of them ended up into a, a yoga culture that was actually just extracting and appropriating culture from indigenous and Indian and, and ancient comedic practices. And um, neither of them unpacked this level of, of cultural appropriation or white supremacy that their whole entire families are from. So to see it for what it is, to name it for what it is, allows us as cultural, white cultural people, white people that identify more with culture, um, to really own our life, own our bodies and own our privilege so that we can actually be contributors. We can be contributors in this work of dismantling white supremacy in our own bodies and dismantling predatory abuse in our own bodies, that we're contributors to this process. We're not allies. We're not allying with anything because we're not joining in somebody else's fight. Okay. This is our own fight because this level of, of wrong self-identification harms ourselves. It's a powerful thing to wake up and to start seeing clearly. And yet it's also very, very hard to, um, to dismantle. And every time I feel into how hard it feels in my body and what it means to do this level of trauma healing and neural repathwaying, you know, creating new neural pathways of new, new practices, new thoughts, new beliefs. I'm reminded of indigenous and black women and, and the diaspora, you know, the people, the ancient wisdom that has always been here. And it's been through colonialist uh, supremacist extraction that we made these practices wrong. And so we don't as white bodies get to start using those practices and then reselling them back as newfound wisdom, because this wisdom has always been here for us and our whiteness has cloaked it. Our whiteness has, has uh, raped it and memed it and um, murdered it and all of the things. And so we need to turn to white women, uh, we need to turn to black women and turn to indigenous women 
for help because they have wisdom and a lens and awareness around what to do in ways that we never will because we can't see ourselves in the picture picture of our own frame. So that's what you have to look forward to on this podcast, the uncomfortable conversations on predators in business, community, and culture. While we will have varied amounts of episodes um, drop in every Sunday, you can look forward to another episode. There is this special Everyday Whiteness series that you can find on Wednesdays. And I distinctly separated it so that we really, really hone in on how all of us participate in supremacy culture, white supremacy culture, um, no matter what body of culture we're in, because um, deconstructing this level of embedded systemic predatory abuse. So in closing, I just want to say that it's never easy to illuminate predatory patterns that are happening in plain sight ones that are infused into our sense of self, our ideology, our framework and way of seeing the world and ourselves and others. But that's exactly why we're doing it. It's the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. Because only by breaking the silence and the shame and the secrecy culture that's built into the predatory patterns, no matter what our personal, unique, um, and legacy story is, together we can change ourselves and the world in which we live by making these things more seen instead of hidden. I thank you so much for tuning in and mostly for listening please share this podcast with a friend. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast. 